Hi, I'm Zach. I've been working in beer for well over a decade, so it's not uncommon for me to find myself enjoying a pint and great conversation with some of the most interesting folks in the brewing industry. Since many of the world's most entertaining discussions happen over a beer, I thought it might be fun to share a few of mine with you. This is Zach Talks Beer. Hello and welcome to Zach Talks Beer. This is an informal podcast in which I welcome friends and peers from the brewing industry on for an unfiltered, honest, and oftentimes fun conversation about working in beer, life outside of beer, and everything in between. My name is Zach Nichols and I'm a brewer and a small brewery owner originally from Wisconsin, but now I am based outside of beautiful Boulder, Colorado, and I have been in the beer world professionally since about 2009, and I've met and spent valuable time with a lot of great people in that stretch, and my guest today is certainly one of them. I'm happy to welcome on to the show Christian Benedetti of Wolves and People Farmhouse Brewery. Christian, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Super. Yeah, safe. absolutely. Super happy to have you guys on. Uh, one of my favorite breweries, if not in Oregon. Uh, in the country. So I'm um, looking forward to, to chatting with you this evening. So um, let's, let's kick things off. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how we know each other. So if I remember correctly, I think it was back in my days at Sanitas Brewing in Boulder, Colorado. You yes. Know, you were rolling through town yes. for a book you were working on. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, came in to tour your brewery and, uh, you know, I was blown away by the quality and that like the, I remember the tap room was just so cool and it had a different kind of feel than some of the older uh, other, you know, uh, situations in, in Boulder. And I was just, yeah, we had really nice chat. Um, that God, that feels like a million years ago. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, you rolled through town, man, that must've been like 2013, maybe 12. Or, yeah. yeah 12? Two, early 2010. Um, if I was, uh, if, if I remember correctly, does that jive yeah. with your memory? Yeah. yeah, it was probably, I mean, I think we, we opened in 2012, so that would have been, and I think it was before we even opened. I think we were like yeah, working on were, build out or something. So maybe it um, was more in 2011, but yeah, it was it was being built out, and we got a kind of behind the scenes tour, tasted some beers. I think it was really close to opening. Right. Um, maybe I, oh, yeah. Was it during big beers? Was it in the winter? It could have been. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. the time of the year, but I just remember you're, you're rolling through working on uh, either. Was it a book you were working on at the time or an article or? You know, I did do a bunch of books and articles at that time, but you know, yeah. man, I'm feeling Who my knows? age right now, Zach. Who knows? I can't remember right? exactly. I'm with you. <laughs> and I used to, I used to go to Boulder a lot and Bend, uh, sorry, in uh, Denver and Boulder all the time. And I think, like everyone in the beer industry, we've we've traveled there less. And you know, for me, I know I miss that. I, right. I enjoyed coming there so much and seeing all the changes all the time, and you know, some good breweries and great tap rooms. So anyway, sure. And yeah, same with me with, with Oregon. And we can talk more about this later, but you know, I used to go to, to Portland and down to, into Willamette Valley quite a bit. Um, and just haven't been there since, you know, before the, the whole pandemic shindig, but, um, missing, missing Oregon for sure. But yeah, I think, um, I, I remember reading an article at one point, I don't know, a couple of years after you were out about, uh, you starting wolves and people and maybe sent you an email or reached out and, 
and six or 12 months later, I was out there in Oregon, uh, for God knows what, and just connected with you and visited the farm and checked everything out. And, uh, yeah. Man. Nice man. Yeah. That, those were, those were fun and, and heady times. Uh, right. gosh, you know, um, it really, it really sometimes feels like kind of the blur. I mean, you can relate it as a small brewery owner, but all the things that you do in the early days and you know, that all that energy you have, um, uh, that you're putting into it at, at all times. And, you know, at that time I was still, I was still, um, writing about deer for a living and traveling, you know, back and forth, you know, again to Colorado, but around the country a lot and running a beer website and, um, publishing a book, um, a, re a revision of a previous book and you know, all kinds of stuff and just running, 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 running. But all I ever wanted to do was, you know, in the end was start a brewery, you know, and, and that required really stopping that lifestyle and, um, you know, slowing down and, and just really, really digging into it. So, but um, yeah, I remember your visit here. Well, that was, that was a great brew day. It was, it was fun. And we'll, uh, we'll talk in a, in a moment here about uh, sort of the origins of, of wolves and people, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I think we should open a beer. Um, oh. Yeah. So I like to, I like to ask all the guests on the, on the show to bring with them a beer that's special to them. It can be something that they made. It can be something that they're really into locally, or it can just be something that uh, they enjoy that they, they feel deserves a, a little love. So uh, what are you, what are you opening tonight? Oh man. I, you know, I'm, I've been so stoked for this. I've been holding a can of beer and uh, the walk-in for a long time in anticipation of the right you know moment to open it up. And when, uh, when you invited me to do this, I knew this was going to be the beer. Um, it is a, uh, a Saison Brett that comes from a little brewery in New Orleans um, that's called Parlo Beer Lab. Okay, and, I think I've heard of them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful little operation in the Bywater, um, which is, you know, not right in the center of town. It's a short drive away from the center of town, but really cool kind of, you know, um, up and coming, I guess, if you will, but, you know, area in, in New Orleans that, you know, kind of a light industrial, kind of a really interesting uh, part of town, very close to the Mississippi River. And um, I was told about this brewery and, and I was visiting town to see a Bob Weir show um, with my couple of my best friends and I managed to get them out there um, to, to visit the brewery and just totally blown away by all of the excellent beers and the vibe and in and, and that place was magical. So flash forward, I'm going on too long here, but uh, they made a beer with our yeast very recently. So nice. um, I'm about to open this can of beer. It's called, it's French and my pronunciation is terrible, but <laughs> La Nuit Porte Conseil, which means something like uh, the night dispenses advice. And uh, it's a Saison Brett um, age, like they, I think they said five months with a Brett, uh, Brett strain and our, and our forager strain and then can conditioned. Very so here cool. goes. Nice. How about you? Let's see. Um, so I'm actually, I, I probably should have brought on a Saison or a farmhouse, uh, considering what, what you guys specialize in, um, as well as what That's we do right. a lot of at Cellar West. But, um, I had a fresh four pack in my fridge of, uh, La Cumbre Elevated IPA. And I haven't bought this beer in a little while. Have you ever had this IPA? Unfortunately not. I've had beers from La Cumbre, but I've not. Yeah. So La Cumbre is in Albuquerque. Um, and Elevated IPA, they, 
want to say they won a medal. I think they won a gold medal for IPA at Great American Beer Festival. It must have, man, it was a while ago, 2013, 14, 15, something like that. Um, but, you know, I remember coming across this beer, which I'm opening right now, um, at a, I think we were at Oscar Blues, uh, their canned beer festival. And it was one of those years. It was like 2012. Um and had this IPA and was just so blown away by it because, you know, as much as we have uh, really nice IPAs in Colorado, or we had at the time, uh, nothing was necessarily to me uh, as enjoyable or, or um, you know, important to me at the time as, you know, the IPAs that I was having out of California and up in your region, up in the Pacific Northwest, as well as some of the, the stuff that I was, you know, early on beginning to try it out of Vermont and, and uh, you know, New England and that area. Uh, but I remember having this beer and being like, wow, this is from New Mexico. This is a really good IPA. Like I I've not had that many great craft beers out of New Mexico, let alone hoppy beers and was blown away by it. And then like six months later, it won at great American beer festival. Um, and since then, I just feel like La Cumbre has gone on to, to really become one of the, the more, um, you know, appreciated breweries in sort of the Rocky mountain region down into the, um, the Southwest and just love their beer. I haven't had this one for a while, but, um, it's usually a mainstay in my refrigerator and I had a, a fresh month old four pack in the, the fridge. So figured I'd crack one nice. open. Yeah. Nice. Right on. I'm so glad you picked a beer from New Mexico. I used to live in uh, Santa Fe Oh, nice. and, um, yeah, I lived in New Mexico for a year, um, way back when in 2020, uh, sorry, in, in 2000 to 2001, I was <laughs> way back a year ago. The time warp. Um, but yeah, in 2000, I worked at outside magazine and, uh, was hanging out there. There were, there was really nothing going on in craft beer then in New Mexico. Um, I, I say that at the, you know, there, there were a couple tiny brew pubs, but you know, the, the beer and the beer scene was kind of coming alive up in Taos, like Eskies was starting up, you know, around that time. And um, sure. there was just a, a very, very, very um, nascent beer scene going on. But I've ended up going back a lot. Um, my wife and I went down there for a, a beer festival in Santa Fe once. And then I was back for a wedding a couple of years ago and um, went through again um, on a road trip through Colorado and New Mexico and drank some good beer. And it's just totally awesome um, what's going on. Uh, in especially in Albuquerque, but around the state too. So, um, totally, yeah, very, very cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, my family's got a, a small uh, condo in in Santa Fe, so we try to sneak down there once or twice a year. And I just love, I love New Mexico, man. It just, it's, it's so wide open. There's so much to it. Um, you can get away. Uh, which, as much as I love Colorado, it's just tougher and tougher to get away these days. And uh, you know, as much as the beer scene is, there's lots of great beer in the state now. It, it's still in a really charming way, it kind of feels like, you know, the, a little bit like the craft beer scene that we had, we have in Colorado, just, you know, maybe five or six years behind um, in a way that I actually really enjoy. There's less fuss and, and noise and, and, um, but they're making lots of great beer down there. And La Cumbre is certainly one of those breweries that's kind of leading the charge. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of the breweries are bigger than you might expect, like, or at least for me, Santa Fe Brewing Company was a teeny tiny brew pub that was doing some little, you know, shows and, you know, it was a very, very cool place. But suddenly I think they're, you know, one of the larger breweries in the state and Marble too. Um, 
I was fortunate to tour Mar Marvel very early on when um, the owner, Ted Rice, was starting out and kind of behind the scenes tour. And um, yeah, I mean, they've become a very, very significant brewery in that region and um, such high quality and super cool team. And yeah, that was the last brewery I've been in New Mexico. So, but I agree. Everything about that place is awesome. I can't wait to get back down there. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those sort of uh, at least people who want to you know do a trip where they can get out into the outdoors as well as visit beer and not have to deal with you know maybe the crowds that you do sometimes in Portland or Denver or some of the other beer cities um I think you know doing that Albuquerque Santa Fe Taos stretches is a good bet um so anyone listening if you're looking for a a, a little beer vacation that's a good spot to hit um but nice. you brought you brought something up earlier uh when you were talking about working for outside magazine let's talk a little bit briefly about just like your writing background and kind of you know how much time you spent in that world and, and what got you into that and what to a certain extent got you out of that. I'm, I'm kind of curious about oh. that part of your life. Wow. Um, well, thanks for asking. It, it feels like a, a long time since I've, you know, done it every day and thought about it as much, especially having you know, a new family and running the brewery the last five years. But yeah, I, um, the short version, I guess, you know, I come from a family of journalists, a lot of writers, um, uh, fiction writers, nonfiction writers, and especially newspaper and magazine people in my on my mom's side of the family. So coming out of college, I knew I wanted to do that. Um, and uh, I was able to spend a year in Europe on a grant program studying beer, though. That was my other big passion in college was homebrewing. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I ever got really very good at it, um, but I was passionate and uh, I had some some batches that stoked my interest and started collecting books. So uh, I was able to spend this year, uh, which is a whole, uh, you know, another um, ball of wax to, that I could go on for so long about because the experiences were so, so deep and so numerous and meeting so many people that I'm still friends with and heroes of mine and the whole beer industry. It was just incredible for me. When I came out of that experience 12 months later, I uh, intended to try to start writing um, a book about the experience and I was pitching you know, I was you know, very, very green, very young, right out of school and, you know, 22 with a, a giant manuscript that I've been working on the whole year. And I went to all kinds of beer magazines and, you know, general interest magazines, high and low, trying to find a way, find a home for my stuff. And it's very hard to break into journalism, uh, especially print magazines. And, you know, being being 22 and coming out of uh, off that experience, which involved a lot of really wild adventures across uh, Europe and also in West Africa. I was aiming for, you know, the stars. I was trying to send stuff to National Geographic and Smithsonian and um, the New Yorker and all kinds of magazines that I, I didn't really know what I was doing by pitching. But um, I got a breakthrough in a beer magazine, which, you know, which accepted a manuscript about Orval. And because uh, I had been there and, you know, long story short, they an entire day there um, and got a lot of really interesting inside information about changing recipes in that era, which I've been tipped off about by someone we both look up to, Yvonne Debates of Rastri de la Sin. Sure. So yeah. I really traced my whole journalism uh, start to him because he was like, I was in Brussels with him at Kenti and I, I met him through Dan Shelton, uh, who I also just ran into randomly on the street and got to know on the street in Belgium outside Cantillon. And they were like, if you're, if you want to write and you want to write about deer, 
then you have to go to Orval and you have to find out why are they changing their recipe because it's a scandal here in Belgium, but no one will talk to us and no one will take us seriously. So um, maybe you can talk your way in, right? So I went down there and uh, talked my way in. And that's how my first article that got published ever uh, was born. And it, and it really, really changed my life. I mean, instantly I got inv invited to speak at some beer conferences. Um, mm you know, the National Homebrewers Conference. And I uh, started making more and more contacts and uh, in the beer world and the beer writing world. And, you know, it, it really rewired my brain. I was so fortunate to have that, um, to have that breakthrough. And it was all thanks to, you know, a lot of luck and being in the right place at the right time and, and also not taking no for an answer because I, I got a lot of rejections before I finally got stuff in print. So that was a long answer, but uh, that started off uh, years and years of, of uh, writing, freelance writing, and working my way up into uh, magazine um, magazines like Outside, which you know it, it took several years later before I got there, and then eventually went to New York City and was there for nine years. Mm. Did you so? Did you continue to write about beer that entire time, sort of freelance, even when you were working predominantly for Outside, or was that something that sort of would come and go uh, throughout oh. your career as a writer? <laughs> Dude, I tried, man. I was trying to every every opportunity I had to pitch a story about beer and get into especially national magazines interested in beer in that era between like 2000 and 2005 or so. You know, it was still a really, really new topic uh, in terms of like when you're talking about national magazines. So um, I thought, you know, I, I was that guy raising his hand in every story meeting and be like, you know, we're, we're working on the uh, we're working on the fall issue here. Maybe we should do this and maybe you should do that and you know and finally I was given a, sh a shot to um, mention you know a single beer in a single sidebar in a National Geographic piece uh, in <laughs> New York when I was working at Adventure Magazine and it was about bringing exotic things home from your travels so I managed to shoehorn a mention of Celebrator Doppelbach into this article and then use that as a clip to like go out and interest other magazines to say, hey, look, I wrote about this beer, you know, about beer for National Magazine. Will you, you know, consider another idea? And then probably a couple of years later before I broke into the men's journal was my really big break in that being a junior staffer there. I mean, I was, you know, bottom of the masthead, but they knew I was interested in beer. And a senior editor came in to me at one day and just said, Hey man, I, I heard you're into beer and you spent some time in Europe. We have a beer package that we want to do. Do you want to, do you want to take it on? And it kind of fell in my lap. So a couple other editors and I got to work and it became my project. So for the next like seven years, I got to create men's journals, annual best beers in America list, which as you can imagine, as someone who barely published anything so far, getting that responsibility was like both awesomely exciting right. and right. very, and very intimidating. Sure. Zach Talks Beer is supported by Cellar West Artisan Ales. Cellar West is an award-winning small brewery in Lafayette, Colorado, just outside of Boulder and a short drive to nearby Denver. Named one of Beer Advocate's best new breweries in 2018, Cellar West crafts a variety of small batch beers ranging from barrel-aged farmhouse sales to rustic European lagers. Planning a trip to Colorado? Be sure to add Cellar West Artisan Ales to your list of brewery visits. And now, back to the show.
So what, what prompts the, you know, I know a little bit more about your, your, your background in terms of the family farm and everything than perhaps some of the listeners, but what, you know, explain to me the transition into what has become wolves and people. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I always, I knew my time in New York wasn't going to be forever. I love publishing. It's very hard way um, to make a living. I had a lot of, you know, really cool and exciting projects and uh, assignments. I got to the point where I was getting sent on big adventures and, you know, it was really, really wonderful. Um, but it wasn't what I truly longed to do, you know, deep down was to move back here to Oregon to this the family farm and get this project going. And, uh, you know, ha- having spent so many years, you know, writing articles about beer, in, in the end, it in- ended up being something I covered, you know, constantly and built, you know, a couple, couple books around and um, website and all kinds of different things. Um, but this was always the goal, you know, was to get back here. So the transition was, you know, kind of a mix of, of necessity on uh, 2008, you know, the New York uh, national sort of you know, media landscape was drastically shifting and falling apart and I remember in the my last month in New York five magazines that I wrote about beer and other topics for went out of business in one month and we were talking about really large magazines so suddenly the writing was on the wall was like the universe was telling me uh, there is just no more work for me for the for the time being and you know as a freelancer you're dependent on these kinds of you know, these assignments and, you know, my two, my main magazine at that point was National Geographic Adventure and they, you know, they were sending me on assignment and they closed, you know, so it was like, it's over. I knew I had to leave. Um, And it was just the kind of major, you know, kick in the ass that I needed to get home and get serious about starting a brewery, uh, which I still had so much to learn about doing. So, you know, and the, the irony is that in moving back, it was within a week or two that I got the offer to write my first book, The Great American Hill Trail, which was like the lightning bolt that, you know, every writer dreams of getting that call. I got a call from a literary agent. She heard about me. She said, I want to pitch, you know, pitch this book and, you know, the, you know, or pitch a beer book. What do you have? What do you have in mind? And at the time I was working a freelance job at the Winter Olympics in um, British Columbia, in Vancouver, and, you know, using my work computer for a second to like respond to this woman and, you know, be like, yeah, I want to do that. But I just moved away. I just left New York. I'm not, I, I can't even meet with you for like six weeks, but we got it, we got it together. And the, the shocking thing was that, or, or the, the kind of twist of fate was that I did sell the book. And it did sell to National Geographic eventually. Hmm. And I went out, but I had to leave home again. I got home. And two weeks later, I was looking at this new opportunity, which was to go out and report for, for about a year and a half. So I touched base and then it was like back out on the road. So it was a great ex- experience. But I, at that point, I knew I was going to start the brewery. I had decided I was going to start the brewery. So I decided to kind of make the beer book reporting process my own kind of graduate school and just you know pepper every brewer that I met with hard questions about how they would start if they could you know start over if they could or what you know what were the hardest things so it was a beautiful and very difficult experience because I had a tight deadline and a very low budget but I got the book done and then you know world up and open up in new ways and man, I could go on and on, but there was this long period of time where I was going back and forth between writing projects, but desperately wanting to just get in the barn and build a brewery. Right. 
Well, as I say, sometimes you gotta gotta hit the road to wind up back home, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was wonderful. I met so many cool people people and so many people who were like you can do it man like here's what I would do or you know what's your situation and I and I used that time to go and visit people um like Dave Logston who had just uh opened Logston Farmhouse Tales which it was you know already something that in a short time had made such an impact and you know Sean Hill at Hill Farmstead which had only been open for a few months and spent a weekend there and helping kick some beer and just kind of like it was snowing it was really kind of an epic visit um and they just kind of just gotten going but they were crushing it already and you know it was a chance to go and visit all these places I'd heard about and kind of learn what I could and try to bring it home and put it in the book too but bring it home to my own project sure very cool so then so then you get wolves and people going and this is um I'll sort of preface by saying this is this is on your your family's farm correct yeah, yeah. Wolves and Peoples on a it's on the 22 acre hazelnut farm, aka Filbert Farm, where I grew up. My four older brothers, and uh, it's been here since. Uh, gosh, I don't know, farm was established in like 1850, and then 1912 is where all the building when all the buildings, the modern or these buildings were built. And my family moved here in 1967, so we've been here for over 50 years. Had you always known that you wanted to, you know, your brewery? You always envisioned it at this location. Good question. Um, honestly, Zach, the, the, the lightning bolt moment was being at Cantillon because hmm. I was turning around in the attic. And if you've been there, anyone who's been lucky enough to be there or even looking at photos, you can see mm-hmm. that's a beautiful old 19th century building with, you know, exposed wood rafters everywhere and the crazy wooden staircase and stuff. And it's just so atmospheric and so beautiful. Walking around in that space was this moment when I realized that brewery did not have to be in a modern, you know, new structure, like the, the breweries in Portland, Oregon at that time, a lot of them were, you know, there's a lot of crazy new successful things happening in that era. And I never considered that a, a brewery could be in quite that kind of operation. And then visiting other, uh, you know, more rural breweries across Belgium in that time period is when I realized like, Hey, we have an old barn, we have farmland, you know, we have, we have uh, access to um, so many things growing in the region, you know, and over time that, that concept has only gotten more and more like important to me. And it's funny, I have little sketches of the, of the brewery in my mind when I was like a freshman in college in my notebook. And it's like this <laughs> modern looking square building, you know, like I was imagining like, you know, futuristic brewery or something. I hadn't right. even conceived of the idea that a, that a farm with fields around it would be a great place for a brewery until, you know, I hadn't been there yet. So that's the, that's what happened. Well, as much as, you know, the, it's appealing for a brewer or a brewery owner to have the, you know, larger water lines and the, the fresh poured concrete and the, all the, those kinds of things, the, <laughs> the, the old wood and the, the feel and the character, you can't really build that, right? Like if you're doing a new build or, you know, this, this sort of, modern brewery that perhaps you were imagining in your head like those are the things that you really can't encapsulate you can you can capture just about anything else but those are the things you can't you can't get um yeah i mean with with being worn in and age and and time and care and love and just yeah so true you know this this building has a very beautiful history of, of people doing great projects inside it before me that kind of um I don't know, paved the way and, you know, helped me understand that it could be a great place for fermentation on 
in 99, um, well after I had gone um, away and back to, to college, um, uh, around that time, a winemaker moved in and built a small boutique Pinot Noir winery in, here in the barn. And I remember being like, damn, he got to it first, but um, he was so good uh, and his story and his, you know, his uh, kind of like his whole narrative around his wines have became like just an incredible inspiration for me. And he spent 10 years here making Pinot Noir and then moved up, was successful enough to buy his own like hilltop in the Shalem Mountains and go up there and make Pinot Noir. And um, wow, that's so, so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And his success, you know, was like a main major part of me knowing like, okay, he probably won't stay here forever. <laughs> Sorry, Jim, right, but I hope you, right. I hope you move on. And then he eventually did. And um, there was also a business in here before. I love talking about um, a cooperage from Burgundy, a French cooperage called Francois Frere set up shop in the barn while I was in college. And I guess this predates the winery by a little bit, but, and I came home without a summer job and I walked up here and met the, the Cooper, um, Rick DeFerrari, who's still making barrels with Oregon Barrel Works. And he hired me to just be a, a helper over the summer, you know? So it was kind of like a, a sawmill work really, where he's cutting white oak, Oregon white oak sections into barrel staves and, and dry aging them in the open air um, for up to three years. So that, that was born here in the barn. And at that time, Again, I, I hadn't really fully grokked onto this idea that there should be a brewery here, but I love the barn because it's where we grew up, you know, farming filberts and uh, I had a hay fort in the attic. And, you know, it was just magical place to me. It was a freaking tough job, but, um, and he outgrew the space very soon and moved on. But uh, so that, that was, it was just two of the very interesting projects that have been in here. And it just has a good vibe in it. Cool projects have come through and it's been inspiring to people. Yeah. And I'm, maybe I'm, setting myself up for a dumb question here, but being in a, a location that uh, not only was a family farm, but also had a, a, a Cooper at one time and a, a local uh, Pinot Noir winemaker, what, what drew you to farmhouse style beer? You know, like why, why is that what you guys really specialize and focus on there? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's a really good question because it's definitely not, you know, the, the most popular or, you know, top selling kind of beer. And it, was, it certainly wasn't when I jumped up the brewery. Um, I feel like in 2010, when I was talking with people about this idea, um, there were just a handful of places, uh, even, even in the U.S. that were even getting close. You know, you had New Belgium, you had Logsdon coming up, you had Bill Farmstead coming up, Jester King was still like you know, I think they might have started in 2007. So very new, still so few breweries out there doing this model. But for me personally, like drinking Saison, dry, bitter, pale Belgian style beers was the was like the key that just fully unlocked my love of beer, like just completely captivated me like any other like no other style uh, ever has. And, you know, I love other styles and we, we brew so many different things here now, but, you know, drinking Cezanne in Belgium and sour beer, wood age beer, just changed the way I think about beer entirely. And um, so I always, you know, to be perfectly honest, I thought about making Wolves and People a Lambic style brewery in the beginning. And we had a plan to just do Spawn beers and Cool Chef yeah. and, and soon as we started 
I mean, I just had one partner at the time, uh, Jordan Keeper, who's now running the first new Lambic brewery in Brussels in a hundred years. Just, you might've heard about this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Brussels beer project. Yeah. yeah. So He's over there Jordan, doing that, huh? Yeah. Jordan was Very cool. here. He left Jester King and then he came here first to help me build out the brewery. And there's just the two of us slogging it out in the, you know, cutting up cement. And I mean, it was such a gnarly first year. Um, well, well in over my head, without a doubt, um, you know, on the construction side, on the budget side, the beer knowledge side, everything. But we got it, you know, after a whole year of banging our heads against the wall, we came close to an operational brewery and started brewing in like September of 2015. But it, that was totally the moment when I was like, we can't just brew sour beer. We can't brew just spawn beer and wait three years, even if we love Lambic more than anything. We need to brew Saison and Belgian Pale Ale and Grisette. We need to brew, uh, you know, all kinds of beers um, to to get people in the door here and to truly like share all the things that we can based on this area. So, you know, going back to your question about what the, the farmhouse approach, which I, I feel like is just almost like a, a mindset or an approach more than anything is using the uber local hyper-local ingredients from your own site or the, the, the immediate area in, in the Willamette Valley. We're just so blessed with incredible farms and producers of you name it. So it just, it quickly pivoted in my, uh, you know, it wasn't even something I ever talked about that much publicly in my own dream. I was imagining, you know, a little Lambic brewery in the Willamette Valley, but, you know, I'm so glad that we pivoted and the first recipe we wrote first recipes we wrote were for Saison, you know, um, and Belgian pale ale. Sure. Yeah. How, how, how do you guys fit into, do you see yourself independent of sort of the Portland beer scene and, and Bend and Eugene and, or do you guys fit into the fabric of, of that whole kind of setup? Because when I think of Saison and farmhouse beer in Oregon, I mean, you guys jump right up there to the top in, in terms of what, you know, I think of what, um, how do you guys factor into that? Are you really, are you serving more of a local, uh, uber local market there? Or um, how do you guys fit into the fabric of really the, the larger Oregon beer scene? That's a really good question. Um, you know, we have a lot of um, friends and family and followers of the brewery that patronize us from Portland. Um, and we have a lot of local fans. Over time, we've gained more and more locals here in the area that have, you know, embraced everything we do. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Um, you know, we, we were, we were, we had a great clientele in the beginning, but it was, it was a trickle compared to now what we, what we handle now. I'd like to think that we have kind of a, I don't know, we're kind of like that oddball cousin, you know, who lives, a little, so, you know, out, out of town and people don't see us all that often when they do they really enjoy it um today um speaking of logston i mentioned earlier shilpi was here head brewer of logston came um, by to drop off some gear that he he borrowed and you know we have a, a really cool friendship with some of the like-minded brewers uh in town um and, and in the area uh and it just isn't just the you know the brewers that make saison and, and wild and sour and farmhouse beers it's 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 a lot of different breweries now but um yeah, we, we keep up with everybody. And, you know, there's a really cool scene that has developed in the Valley um, from Heater Allen, you know, which, which supplied, uh, whose brew house we started with, their old brew house, right. still killing it, making some of the best loggers in the world. 
and now um, Floriland was just opened with Sean Burke, formerly of the Commons. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just, I could go on and on. There's so many outstanding new and, and like kind of up and coming breweries here in the Valley that we're forming kind of our own scene out here too, which is, is which is it, super so for, cool. Forland is in the Valley. I've been following no, what he's no, been doing. Technically not. I mean, Portland is at the northern most. No one would say Portland is inside the. Oh no, itself. sorry, it's not Portland. Portland yeah. Brewing. Portland Brewing. Oh yeah, Portland. Yeah, pardon me. Yeah, Portland is in, down in McMinnville, um, and you know they uh, they have been um, you know just racking up accolades, making so many nice um, you know beers of, of all stripes, but you know particularly hoppy beers, lagers, but also a lot of cool and what age beers starting to come out. Um, we, we have a great long friendship with Sean. I, I, I met him early in the days at the Commons and I was just kind of like a barfly there, like, you know, quizzing him and Mike and everybody that worked there about what was going on and try to, trying to help when I could and getting involved in some projects. So they were definitely one of the inspirations to, you know, early on. Um, and, you know, they closed well after we opened, but we're still extremely tight with Mike. I see him all the time. I see Sean, uh, gosh, you know, every, every few weeks we run into each other, it seems. And so I guess I, I love the scene that's developing out here in the Valley. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. sounds like it. And you bring up the commons. That's a brewery that, you know, comes to mind for me quite often. And I'm sure people who have worked in beer and Oregon for some time, you know, that, that, it has to be a brewery that is brought up often as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, everyone's so inspired. You know, um, Logston Upright, which cannot go unmentioned um, sure. for all their outstanding beers in Portland, sure. and the, you know, what, you know, what age stays on, you know, territory. Yeah. But, they're, I you know, mean, would you call them sort of the urban farmhouse brewery of, of Portland? <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing great stuff and they just expanded their tasting room. Um, uh, in their same original location. So visitors who have been there will, will remember entering the lobby of their building. You go down mm -hmm. to the basement. Now they have like a ground level tasting room, which is great. Yeah, but you know, Upright in the Commons uh, and Logston were kind of a trio of breweries. I think that inspired a lot of beer lovers to be like, hey, look, you know, we're far from Belgium right now, but we have we have some locals who really care about these styles and really delving into it, um, even though they're like, you know, the eighth, ninth and 10th best selling beer styles, you know, and just pushing it, you know, and when you look at the people who worked at Logston and moved on um, and to do the things they have done, um, the breweries they've uh, gone on to, to direct and, and to grow with, like, it's amazing. Same with the commons. You have, you know, alums who uh, ended up making Lambic at Beachwood, you know, you have, um, or I should say American, you know, goose, <laughs> American style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to step in a, in yeah, a hornet's right. nest there. Making, <laughs> um, you know, beautiful spawn beer, we'll, we'll say. And then, uh, you know, um, you've got guys up at Freem. You've guys, you know, you've got Sean at Foreland. And, you know, one after another, um, people who came out of those operations <clears throat> have, uh, have, have really, I think, elevated and pushed the American scene sure. and, and wild and, and farmhouse beers. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I, before I get too far ahead of myself, I got to ask, I don't think I've ever asked you this wolves and people. Can you talk, talk about the name a little bit? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, we, I, I'm amazed. I, I didn't, um, you know, uh, get you with this story when you visited, <laughs> but it's, 
it's one of those things that's funny. Sometimes it just never comes up and people are like, oh yeah, cool brewer name. And you know, it's a great name. It's a great name. I just hey. never, I don't think I ever asked about it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, growing up here on the farm, uh, I have four older brothers and we had a neighbor family that also was five boys on a neighboring hazelnut farm. And we invented a game together um, called Wolves and People that we played at night. So, <clears throat> you know, summer night, sun's going down, you elect one wolf, um, they go and uh, turn around while all the people uh, hide, uh, or the wolf hides and you turn around and count to 10. You got to get across the freaking field or the meadow without getting tagged by the, the hiding wolf. And if, if, if they get you, then you become one and the game resets. And eventually the winner is the last uh, person to be you know, caught by a wolf, but it also sure. sucks to be chased by a massive pack of right. wolves. So, nine people. Um, yeah, or nine <laughs> wolves. So we came up with the name like early on. It was on this long list and I wasn't sure where we were going with the name in the brewery. And, and a cousin of mine who had played the game growing up said, what about wolves and people? And as soon as I heard someone else say it, I realized it, it was a nice name for a brewery and unique. And, you know, it kind of speaks to the wild versus tamed approach as well. If we can, you know, get carried away with it a little bit, we, we, we talk about that sometimes, you know, doing classic old timey recipes that are, are almost, you know, rigidly conforming to old styles. And then we have beers that are just wild and experimental and completely off the, off the grid. So um, it kind of speaks to our philosophy as well. I love it. I love it. What, so what, what is next for wolves and people? What are you working on that you're excited about for the brewery or just a, simply a beer that you're, you've got in the tank that you're excited about or in barrels? Oh man. I mean, we've had a pretty wild year. 2020 was awful. We won't even barely talk, talk about it. 2021 was a great year for us. We were able to, you know, add a couple of big fooders um, and uh, a new unit tank and a small canning line and kind of like, you know, re really delve into the oak side of our cellar. Um, and I'm really proud that like when someone comes here to the brewery, you know, two thirds of the beer list is coming from Oak. Um, and, you know, that's what people are coming here to try. It's not necessarily sour beers. Um, we're doing a lot of um, clean um, beers in Oak with various, uh, you know, strains, bike strains, and uh, also Forager, which is a, a strain we grew out of my beehives a couple of years ago and turned into kind of a, a house strain for us, which we really love. Um, so, you know, we've, we've kind of, we've expanded our cellar and our team has grown too. Um, Paul Ray, the former head brewer of Little Beast and uh, Telegraph and Libertine, all, all these really super cool breweries has been here for a year and a half. Um, he's very pumped up on Berliner Weiss right now. And, um, you know, just doing so many awesome beers. Also with our Amphora, we have a terracotta uh, Amphora, which is like a giant clay pot that we're cool. making beers with. And um, Paul has really embraced that and making the, we even did a mixed culture lager out of that <laughs> Amphora and we called it Neolithic and Neolithic lager. Um, and it was one of our favorite beers of the year. Um, and uh, then um, about two months ago, Michael Matern joined the team. He was formerly the head brewer at Other Half in Brooklyn. Mm, and uh, yeah. he, he's been a great addition. Um, yeah, absolutely. So those two guys are really running the show in the brewery I, i've only brewed a couple batches this year um, i'm really proud of those beers but i spend most of my time like um you know running the company and planning for some of our future projects and um yeah getting getting ready to build a big covered patio out front and we got all kinds of things going on it's it's a lot to keep up with that's awesome well i mean i love your space you guys have there that that property is beautiful 
the beers are obviously always excellent. Um, anytime that our distributor who carries you guys out here, culture beverage, anytime they've got an extra keg hanging around, I always try to try, try to grab it off them and have a, a wolves and people guest tap on. So yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I so appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we love that. We love what you guys do, but, uh, Hey, I don't want to take too much of your time. So Christian, thank you so much. Appreciate coming on with me tonight. Thank you so much. It's, it's awesome to, to reconnect and, and, uh, thank you very much for, for, uh, for featuring us. And I hope to see you back out in Oregon really soon. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, hopefully I can get up there soon. I'm, uh, we'll see what the next three or four months has in store for, for us with all this continuing, you know, COVID stuff, but I would love to get up there soon and, and see you guys and have some beers and see what, see what's going on at wolves and people. So yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. So, Hey, thanks for listening to Zach talks beer. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leave a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. That's kind of how we keep things rolling along over here. We don't necessarily have a social media presence for the show, but you can visit ZachTalksBeer.com to contact me, check out new episodes. Uh, I try to get them out every other week or so, or as much as my life at the brewery allows for. Um, and on that note, you can feel free to visit sellerwest.com or sellerwest artisan ales on Instagram or Facebook to learn a little bit more about my small brewery in Colorado. Uh, hope everyone has a great next few days and we will circle back soon enough. Cheers. Cheers.